You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years or of. It's coming. First, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card, and you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live, stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. And now, Emeritus Rex. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yoshua Pupko of Cote St. Luke's premier synagogue. Beth is alarmed a little bit about what's happening in the U.S. financial markets. Do we have money? Will there be money? Is, is, is money? Well, I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you my own personal story. Uh, I lost 73 million with Bernie Madoff and I was clawing my way back to uh, financial security. And then I lost uh, 110 million in the crypto crash. Um, and I, and then, you know, so whatever I had left, I put in Silicon Valley bank and, and now I've lost that. So I'm not the best person to talk to. Uh, I see. And uh, you are contemplating jumping out of out of your first story window there in your synagogue. But, but I think it is a serious thing. I mean, we... we yes, we, because, it's, you know, we're two financial wizards, you know, talking about a very complex financial situation. So I think your listeners are, are should be very grateful, humbled, I think, even, by the opportunity to listen to the two of us geniuses. Yes, yes. John, about banking. I think, you know, I, you know. I, I, John Maynard, listen, John Maynard Keynes is is rolling over in his in his. <laughs> listen, Silicon. Listen, I, I listen. Well, from what I, I I did meet Menachem Friedman, not Milton Friedman. I did meet Menachem Friedman, <laughs> who is no, Menachem Friedman is one of the premier sociologists in there. Oh, him! Oh, 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 yes, he is. I met Menachem Friedman. I had a very good schmooze with him. Uh, but I, Milton, of course, who was, uh, you know, very very famous. By the way, a lot of people think he's related to Milton Berle, and it's not true. Uh, Milton Bradley also, Milton Bradley Games. That was very important. You, you, you know, your your free association here is <laughs> off the charts. No wonder you get such a ran- king's ransom of a of a salary for your show. <laughs> who, who who else could yeah, who else could talk about Stratego and and Monopoly? Um, but Stratego, I think, and Monopoly, I think, are are, are both good uh, segues here. It, 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 do you say is- what happened here is very simple okay people had this crazy new idea of modern monetary theory that you can have an extended period of 
of zero interest rates, and somehow that wouldn't distort the economy. They had this crazy idea that you could flood the economy with trillions of dollars that weren't needed after the COVID crisis was over, another $2 trillion economy, and somehow that wouldn't have a distorting impact. And and then you thought you could have regulators in, in you know, the California Fed who are fascinated by ESG and all the current environmental uh, guidance for, for investing, and somehow that wouldn't distract them from actually doing their job in regulating banks. So you have a perfect storm of stupidity and hubris uh, coming together to create this. And simply put, simply put, when, when interest rates are, are, are unnaturally low for over an extended period of time, investors look for other places to put their money and not always in the best places. And they look for riskier investments because you can't make anything by just depositing money in a bank. So that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that once you have inflation triggered by government excess, the value of, uh, of bonds held by banks depreciates immediately because you bought bonds when interest rates were low. Now they're available high because uh, the interest rates went up and the stuff you go, you got to take a haircut on. And uh, all of a sudden bank holdings begin. To, and, and then you have the other issue, which is it's a lot easier to create a panic today than it's ever been because of social media. So you had a, you know, a situation where the value of, of, of the bank's assets began to spiral downward because of inflation. You had some depositors who, because of the tech crunch, who wanted their money. And it's very hard to stop the dominoes once they start falling. And, but this is, and, and then you have regulators that should have seen this coming six months ago because all you do is, you know, it's not the first year course in economics, but the second year course will teach you that uh, when interest rates rise, this is what happens when you have, you know, bonds held at a lower interest rates, they will devalue quickly and, uh, and you can't get, and you can't sell them. And, um, and, and everyone knows that. And the, certainly bank regulators should know that. And they understood where the assets of SBB were. So uh, how this was allowed to happen is really bizarre. Yes, I heard Steve Forbes hold forth on it. And, you know, like yourself, uh, uh, they, they blamed uh, the people that were running uh, this large bank. But I, I think you're aware that uh, in the last 25 or 30 years, the, the amalgamation of banks that has occurred. In other words, all the small banks closed up and became swallowed up. So when you have a large well, player- A lot of that has to do with the post-2008 Barney Frank, who weirdly popped up as a board member of SVB, right? The, uh, the, 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 the reforms that were done to secure the banking. New regulations are things that very large banks are able to absorb with less disruption. Small banks can't absorb heightened regulation without disruption. So that was also a government-triggered phenomenon, where you insist on, you know, on 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 on, on, a, on a regulatory scheme that is a, can be a daunting challenge for small local banks. They will surrender to the larger banks. There's no question. Yeah, and so I think what the fear was, and you talked about the social media uh, hype and and panic, was that one failure would, as you said, generate 
some of the other big bigger players. Another stepping in for Credit Suisse and for uh, the the other bank in New York. The other bank is, of course, the two big banks are Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Those right. are the two large giants here in the U.S. Um, but but again, I think they're they're taking steps to shore up the you know banks are stepping forward to deposit money in some of the banks that looked a little shaky and they're trying to secure them. Listen, we don't know what happened. There could be another bank failure on Monday morning. We don't know. And that, that could trigger a lot of problems. And, and, and again, the complicating factor is right now is the Fed needs to keep raising interest rates in order to fight inflation. But every time they do that, they put more banks at risk that are holding bonds at a lower interest rate. So it's a serious problem because it is what you need to do to solve one problem hurts you on the other end. And, uh, and if you don't raise interest rates, right, inflation is going to keep going and that hurt. I mean, so you, you have a real problem here for the fed. The fed is, is really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Everyone knows Biden put forth a budget, which is dead on arrival because of the Republican control of the house. But, but the point is Biden has cornered the Republicans. He really has. He did that brilliantly in the state of the union. Where they're where reforming entitlements is basically off the table, and everyone knows you have to look what the French did this week, right? They raised the retirement age, and he had to use a rarely used clause in the French Constitution in order to get it through the Parliament. He did it without a vote, uh, and there are huge protests all over France on a relatively minor adjustment to the entitlement scheme of raising the retirement age just by two years. They had the lowest one in Europe before. Now it's a little more in line with everybody else. But everyone knows that Social Security and Medicaid, all these programs are at risk of going bankrupt. But the Republicans lost this issue. They lost it because Trump, when he ran in 2016, understood it was politically smart, you know, not to be the candidate of cutting entitlements. So he basically, you know, you know, he was a new kind of Republican. A Republican who didn't want to touch Social Security, he took he grabbed an issue away from the Democrats. And any Republican who says something sensible about Social Security today will be bashed. I mean, what what did Trump say about DeSantis last night, screaming about he's going to cut Social Security? I mean, whoever heard of Republicans fighting over this before? But Trump grabbed that issue from the Democrats. You know, to have a tagline in a speech, we're not going to cut your entitlements, right? And the reality is it's unsustainable. We all know the birth rate has dropped. We all know the ratio between the retirees and the workers is becoming more and more distorted. And you don't have enough people working to support Social Security. You don't have that. You don't have it anymore. And no one has the courage to step up and to make reasonable changes to to, to programs which are gobbling up an increasing share of the, of the federal budget. You know, I think, you know, one could probably make a case that um, in the U.S. where so many of the aging baby boomers um, worked so hard and the the idea is shocking to them that they are not going to get what they put back in uh, because it was immense. Their work, uh, their work monies that went for Social Security was was their whole lives. And now they're faced with the difficulty of their dotage. And I think that's part of the reason why uh, nobody wants to, to handle that because of the, the outrage that is going to ensue, uh, especially as so many of the older people are still running, the, are running companies. And running well, 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 I have to say COVID helped enormously here because it killed about a million people. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I, it, I just want to contrast that to what's <laughs> Macron's move in France. 
in, in, in Europe, because of whatever the tendency is, they didn't work so hard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the, French, the French people take wonderful vacations, uh, as do many, many people in Europe. They do, if, if we would talk about the busy bee factor, that was, that was alive and well during the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s in the U.S. What was happening in, in, in France and Europe was ooh la la. You know what I'm saying? Listen, were, everyone knows, or everyone should know, that <clears throat> there are always unintended consequences to government intervention in the economy or in society. So, for instance, just to pick the most controversial example, is that, you know, till the mid-60s, uh, African-American families in America were indistinguishable from white families in one regard and out of wedlock births. Since the mid-60s, the disparity, it's hard to imagine it being a, a greater. Uh, the, the, you know, government largesse and the great society programs of Lyndon Baines Johnson distorted uh, society and made men in the inner city redundant in the, in, you know, in the thinking of many, of, of many uh, people in, in in those areas, and uh, and all of a sudden, out of out of wedlock birth, skyrocketed. The disparity uh, between African American families and, and and white families is is terrible right now. But not only that, if you remove race from any poverty statistic in America, remove race, you don't know who's white, you don't know who's black, you don't know who's Hispanic, and you look at one factor, one factor only, who is who is having children. In, in you know in, a, in, a, in with 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 uh, with parents in the house and who's having uh, children alone which women are having children alone that explains all poverty it's the single number it's the number one factor in poverty and the government programs which allowed women to have children enabled that and to be financially I wouldn't say secure but financially viable uh has distorted that reality i mean look what the government did with bank insurance right so roosevelt was against insuring bank deposits because as roosevelt said if you insure them that increases bank recklessness so not only is a certain amount so now what did biden do they insured all the deposits even way above the fdic limits and that creates a precedent which every bank will bank on right now and that only increases the likelihood of more reckless behavior because they don't have to pay the price or suffer the consequences of bad decisions. When, when people don't suffer consequences, they are less cautious. That's human nature. When you flood the economy with so much money that you make nearly as much and sometimes more staying at home than going to work, people won't go to work. And that's what's happened uh, during COVID and, and it persists after COVID where the work uh, uh, participation rate uh, continues to be low. And uh, so human nature is the only immutable factor in life. And human nature is, if I don't suffer consequences, I will be less careful. If I don't have to work, I won't. And uh, we've talked about the underprivileged, underprivileged in our communities. We've talked about distilling charity funds. Um, the Gemara and Suvis talks about the to be careful of judging others from your standard. Umar speaks about uh, Amaroyim who felt there were indigent people that weren't trying hard enough, that were demanding too many luxuries. Um, and, 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 the, and the Gemara cautions us not to judge in a person's soul about what they need and what they don't. But I'm going to ask you, um, 
this crunch that's going to happen. Do you ever feel that now you might have to speak to members maybe of, of your community or others and say, look, you've been on the dole. You've, we've been sending you money. We've been giving you stuff. You need to really, we need to push you towards work. We need to, you need to be able to, uh, uh, to be aggressively have your own Parnosa because we can't just keep on the shuls, the community funds. It's not enough to support them. I know COVID, as you know, in our community and others, uh, there were lines of cars of people, you know, getting food consistently. How would you view the landscape now? And what I, would say, I, I don't know if my community is reflective of a larger phenomenon or, or if I'm an exception to the rule. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about what goes on elsewhere in other communities. The people who come to the show and, you know, in other charities in Montreal, generally speaking, are not people who would be um, categorized as being able to do much more for themselves. We're talking about uh, people who, you know, who fate has dealt a harsh card uh, and they are uh, not it really, uh, we're talking about older people or or, or, or single parents, single mothers. And, and it's very hard to, I can't imagine, I'm just thinking of the people who, who I help. I, I can't imagine having that kind of conversation with them about asking them or imploring them to seek more gainful employment. I, 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 the people I know who can or, you know, do find a place to work. The people who, who mostly who I see are people who really are not in the category of being able to do so, so the criticism, the criticism that you were that you were lacing, you know, some of the underclass before, you don't believe that at least in your uh, personal experience uh, would apply to the way we dispense. No, I, I think for instance, I mean, the Democrats certainly have loosened some welfare requirements about work, and you know that was the big compromise when Clinton was president, and some of those uh, regulations have been loosened about work requirements i you know i think obviously as a general rule you know there should be some requirement you know in, in these broad programs of welfare food stamps you know very weighty and consequential topic that that has the wall street journal opining um let's let's move now to the other big news this week uh it was as no surprise aaron Rodgers says the Packers really don't want me. They've told me they want to move on. <clears throat> I was going to retire, but then I went into my uh, my my dark hole. When, when I came out, then I heard that they they're really saying that they want to trade me and that they want to move on. So I want to be a Jet, you know. And when you're a Jet, you're a Jet all the way, right? Um, you know, you know, from your first. A Broadway move, you know, to your last Broadway play. I mean, this is he's he and how is this going to, you know, uh, you know, obviously the pack. I know that you are a, a great Steeler fan, but I'm thinking here as a Packer fan, 30 years approximately from 1992 till now. I mean, I don't think there's really been uh, a franchise that has had two great quarterbacks following each other in such a way. You could make a case for. Um, uh, for Montana and Young. Yeah, of course, Montana, yeah. yeah. But it didn't last 30 years. Okay. 
Young, Young ran out of steam. You know, like all these running quarterbacks, Young, Young's career was cut short. Um, but Favre and and there was just something true. The Packers only had two Super Bowls in all that time. But you got to admit, uh, a handful of teams was always fun to watch. The Packers were always a fun game to watch because of these two these two guys. And, I love Brett Favre. I got to tell you. Yes. Well, you know, Brett was clearly a good old boy. And I think his shenanigans um, and his legal problems sort of an indicator of it. You know, Rogers is Rogers is so different than than Favre, um, you know, very snide, uh, pseudo intellectual, um, uh, uh, cryptic, um, really a weird person. Listen, if I was the New York Jets, I wouldn't want him. I don't want to deal with that drama. Also, I think teams like the Rams make mistakes of trying to win a championship, you know, in, quickly and in one year and then, but they're terrible the next year. You know, they get the right people in place. Rogers, what has, how many years does he have left anyway? I think the Jets would be better off trading for a higher uh, draft pick and, uh, and you know, and, and a premier quarterback out of the draft. Uh, I, I don't know what this obsession with Rodgers is. I, yeah, it might get him a championship. But remember, he's competing against Josh Allen and, and Burrow and and, uh, and Mahomes eventually, of course. And uh, he's moving to the AFC where uh, there are a lot of good quarterbacks in his own division. If, if, Tua has, if Tua comes back, I mean, you've got Tua and Allen in the same division. The only good news here is the, the Patriots are out of the conversation. Baruch Hashem, God's justice has finally reached. <laughs> well... But, you know, I, I think that part of it is to know that uh, Rodgers always plays better with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, yeah. And I think he's going to try to prove something. You know, and, it, it, it might, you know, it might play out very well for them, but this, who needs that drama? I, I think the Jets want to be more relevant. It's still, a, you know, it's still a Yankee town and it's still a Giants town. Yes. The Giants have such a rich... NFL history and with Parcells and others that they were able to win Super Bowls. Um, look, Eli Manning's both those Super Bowls were were magnificent games. Um, and let's not let's 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 not forget uh, the great Buffalo uh, Giants Super Bowl that was probably one of the you know really such an inspiring great game. So the Giants have uh, a lot of history and a lot of significance here and i all think let's have is joe namath in one year yeah i mean they had namath for a couple of years when namath was great but with his knees namath by the way interestingly ralph uh said i'll let rogers have my number ever twice on that yes now i think if rogers has any class and of course rogers is nuts if rogers any class he would say and to respect namath i'm going to take a different number of course let, he, but he won't yes rogers will take 12 yeah, unless, unless some 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 smart people in his life implore him, right? His 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 choice would be to take that twelve. Damn the consequence, right? And even though he would he would incur so much favor if right. he would play with different. If you remember, Montana played when he, Montana went to the Chiefs. You remember when right. Montana was was traded by the Forty ers to the Chiefs? He took on a different number, right? So, so I think 19, I think, was his number when he went to the Chiefs. The point is, is that I think it'll, it'll generate news. New York is still the center of, you know, the media world. And I think this is something that uh, people... I mean, when I went to Israel, my jersey was the same number as Rabissa Zalman Meltzer. 
and I didn't wear it. I, 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 in a respect for Mr. Zalman, I changed my number. Discussion about it, the Steelers that you love so much were pretty much inconsequential when they were part of the NFL, right? When they were part of the, the NFL and they, the, the, the league merged, they sort of gave the Steelers into the AFL, which became the AFC, right? You, know, you want to talk about ancient history here? No, no. What I'm telling you is, is that the move, and, and for years, let me just explain things. For years, the NFL was, and the NFC had a, a tradition of the old NFL. We are the black and blue. We are the tough guys. We're in the trenches, et cetera, et cetera. And there was always the sense that the AFL, which became the AFC, was more pass happy. Right. As you can see from Dan Coriel's right. uh, the Chargers and even the Dolphins. But then I, I think in those, you're right, it's ancient. But now I think it's completely shifted. I think the AFC is so much more talented. It really has, I mean, the, the, there are a bunch of bumblers in the NFC. I mean, it's true, the Eagles were, were a good team and so were the 49ers. The rest of them really were stinking up the place. And in the AFC, you have, you know, you have Chiefs, uh, Chargers, Bengals, right? Um, and it's, I think it's, it's really become, and I think that's, I think Rogers recognizes that this is where the real action is. I mean, now he might be knocked out, as you say, he's an old guy. Listen, there's still, from what I, I don't know, I haven't looked at the news in a few hours, but there's still difficulties in the trade talks between the Packers and the Jets. So who knows what's going to happen, but. Uh, no, it's, it's, you know, look, it's, it, as Rogers says, he says, come on, I'm the, uh, you do right by me. And, and the Packers should take less. In the New York media market, if, if, if this deal actually happens and Rodgers is wearing a Jets jersey next year, it'll certainly be a lot of fun to watch. They have a very good team around him. He's going to with you know, a very good situation. And uh, the missing component of a, uh, of a top-tier quarterback you know, could push them over the edge uh, to, to a championship. You never know. But uh, it'll be fun to watch, that's for sure. Yes, yes, and we will, we will, in anticipation. So we'll catch you again, hopefully, next week. I think it'll be our final show before Pesach. Take care, everybody. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 